0: So we're going to look at chapter 18, and as we do, we want to think about what can happen in a single hour. That's a recurring refrain from this chapter, and so we'll look at that as we consider the fall of Babylon the Great. And as we're diving in, we, we've talked about Babylon over and again, and one of the things that we need to be very mindful of as we come to this chapter is remembering how we define babylon in the revelation and really in in scripture and so remember that john as he is giving us a, a written version of the visionary experience that he had He's not talking about Babylon as the ancient empire that defeated the nation of Judah and then was defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, But instead, he's talking about Babylon as emblematic of the spiritual system of evil opposition to God and to God's people that exists throughout the story of human history and rears its head in the physical world. Uh, Babylon is the system controlled by Herod the Great uh, that slaughtered the children in Bethlehem. Uh, Babylon is the system of Rome that was controlled by uh, by Domitian that brought persecution and oppression upon the church of Jesus Christ. But Babylon is also the uh, the sort of world systems and empires that we've seen in our own day that are led by tyrants and despots, things like uh, Nazi Germany and, and like the system of Al-Qaeda and all the, the leadership of Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. Those sorts of evil world empires are physical earthly expressions of the spiritual reality that is Babylon the Great. And what John is telling us is that this system, this spiritual system of evil opposition to God and to the Lamb is going to rear its head one final time at the end of days. It will have an earthly expression with an earthly leader, but it will continue to be that spiritual system of evil opposition to God and in the last expression of Babylon, it will be the great, which is to say that it will be overtaking. It will, it will encompass the entirety of the world. Everyone who is not a believer in the Lord Jesus will be caught up in the sway of this evil empire. And it will seem as though its glory will never end until it does. Until that final hour on that single day comes and Babylon is destroyed Beneath the heat of the wrath of God. I couldn't help but think about this, this house of cards that is Babylon the Great and not think about L. Frank Baum. Some of you will know that name as the writer of, anybody? The Wizard of Oz. And L. Frank Baum, in writing The Wizard of Oz, he wrote about an emerald city. And the inspiration for the emerald city that, that Baum wrote about was the White City. And the White City was uh, a temporary structure that was built in Chicago in 1893. It opened on May the 1st of 1893. It was a a city that was built to house pieces of the World's Fair in Chicago. And it was gleaming bright. It was called the White City because it was white. It was brilliant and reflective and and ornate. It was in neoclassical style. It was glimmering and dazzling. It was, became the way that L. Frank Baum thought about this city that he called the Emerald City. And the only problem with the glory of this white city built in Chicago to house the World's Fair is that it wasn't built to last. It was a steel structure, but it was covered in basically paper mache It was a, a mixture of glycerin and plaster of Paris that they laid out onto this steel structure. And on July the 10th of that year, there was a fire that caught in the cooling house and it ripped through this vast complex that they had created to house the world's fair, killing 17 men, 13 of whom were firefighters sent to respond to the scene. It all came down in a moment. That's how it will be with Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great looks impressive. It appears as though it is powerful. It is dazzling and, and enticing and alluring to the world. People want to go into her. They want to be drawn to her. They are attracted by her and they are attracted by what she makes them to be. The profits there to gain, the power they control, all of the pride of place that they can have because of their allegiance to Babylon the Great. These are reasons that people are drawn into this, this system of evil opposition to God and the Lamb. But we will hear the song of the sovereigns and the lament of the sellers, and we will hear the funeral dirge of the shippers. As they all call out, she is destroyed in a single hour. And we will ask ourselves, what can happen in a single hour? And the answer is this. In a single hour, God could come. In a single hour, evil can be destroyed. In a single hour... The majesty and glory and dominion of God can be caused to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In a single hour, God can vindicate the long-offered pleas of his saints for vindication and vengeance and justice. In one single hour, your life and mine could end. We could take our last breath in this world and first breath in eternity. And so we must hear the announcement that Babylon the Great has fallen and learn the lesson to be faithful to God and the Lamb. John writes in Revelation 18 in verse 1, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning, They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, "'Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, "'for in a single hour your judgment has come. "'And the merchants of earth weep and mourn for her "'since no one buys their cargo anymore.' Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, What city was like that great city? And they threw dust upon their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more and the voice of a bridegroom, and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Remember that in the Revelation, John regularly returns to themes that he has already introduced. And then he expounds upon them. He opens them up and he lets us think about them in new ways. And one of the things that we've found challenging, maybe even a little bit difficult, is that we don't read this book in chronological order. It's not linear. It's circular. It comes back to itself. It returns to themes already introduced. And then it gives us greater detail or it allows us to think of them another way. It puts another depiction on the same thing. Remember that we've seen that in how we've talked about Antichrist. The Antichrist that John writes about in the epistles, we said a long time ago is the equivalent of the man of lawlessness that Paul talks about in Second Thessalonians chapter two. And he appears at the abomination of desolation that will occur, as Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 13, or Matthew chapter 24. And we know that that's equivalent to the beast of the abyss that we were introduced to in chapter 11 and to the beast of the sea we were introduced to in chapter 13. John wants us to think about these things in layers and to see all of the detail and relief. That's the case here in chapter 18. If you flipped back to chapter 16 verses 17 to 21, you see there that the seventh angel poured out the seventh bowl and it was the last bowl of the wrath of God. It was, it was the fullness. Everything is now complete. God's judgment is poured out upon the earth in full. That doesn't mean that we now are at the very end of human history in chapter 16 and verses 17 to 21, but instead it means that that we're near to the end of this part of the story. We're coming to the end of, of days, and now we're going to approach what God will do with history itself, what God will do with those who were with him and those who were against him, with those who are a part of his kingdom and those who live in the kingdom of this world. And in Revelation chapter 16 and verses 17 to 21, John said that the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple and from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about a hundred pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe." In one way, that's the very end of human history and it leads us to the destruction of the wicked and the deliverance of the righteous. And in other ways, that's just the thumbnail and when we click into it, we see greater detail and more of the story. And that's what we've done in looking at chapters 17 and 18. We've seen more of the story. How does this happen? In chapter 17 centered on the on the description of the great woman, the 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 prostitute that rode the scarlet beast. And we were told more about the beast in chapter 17, and now in chapter 18 we're told about that woman, the prostitute that rode the beast. The beast is the beast of the abyss. It's the beast of the sea. It's the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. The beast that she rides upon is the one who gives power to her as a system of evil opposition to God and the Lamb. And now in chapter 18, we remember that the woman is a city. The woman is an empire. The woman is a kingdom. A kingdom that is empowered by the beast. And now it's time for this kingdom to fall. And so the first thing that you see in Revelation 18 verses 1 to 3 is the announcement of Babylon's judgment. John says, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was made bright with His glory. It's the only time in the Revelation that we see man or, or being, other than God, reflecting glory, radiating with glory. And so here's probably an indication that this angel has come from the presence of God Himself. This is being enacted and carried out with the authority of the divine. God Himself has dispatched this angel to bring this announcement the angel called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. We've heard those words before. Back in chapter 14 and verse 8, the second of a set of three angels there announced the same, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality we first there began to understand just exactly who Babylon is as a system, a spiritual system of evil opposition to God and to God's people. That depiction of Babylon as a spiritual system of evil is a fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah chapter 21 in verse 9. There, Isaiah had been set as a watchman to look, to anticipate, to to be on the look for the fall, the announcement that Babylon, the actual empire that would oppose Israel, historic Israel, that Babylon would fall. And in Isaiah chapter 21 in verse 9, the prophet wrote, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. Now we find that those words have a new meaning. They are Fulfilled. They take on a greater intensity and application as John relies upon them in the Revelation to talk about the destruction of this final system of evil opposition to God. John has already told us back in chapter 16 and verse 19 that Babylon is going to fall, break apart, be shattered into three pieces, as it were. And now John tells us what that shattering looks like. The prophets wrote about the destruction of Israel's enemies regularly. They knew that God would raise up nations in judgment of His people. and God did this regularly throughout the life of the nation of Israel. And then at the end, God raised up the Assyrians to destroy ancient Israel. And He raised up the Babylonians to destroy ancient Judah. And then when God had accomplished his purposes in bringing about judgment on his people and intended to preserve a remnant for himself and restore that remnant to the land that he had given them, God then brought about other nations to destroy the destroyers. And the prophets told us this. In Zephaniah 2, verses 14 and 15, the prophet wrote about the looming demise of Nineveh, writing, "...herds shall lie down in her midst all kinds of beasts." Even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. What a desolation! She has become a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. Jeremiah wrote about the destruction of Babylon in chapter 50 and verse 39. He said, therefore, wild beasts shall dwell with the hyenas in Babylon and ostriches shall dwell in her. She shall never again have people nor be inhabited for all generations. And then he wrote in chapter 51 and verse 37 that Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, the haunt of jackals, a horror and a hissing without inhabitant. And Isaiah foretold the tarnishing of Babylon's glory in chapter 13 and verses 19 to 22 when he wrote Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down with There and their houses will be full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell and their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close at hand and its days will not be prolonged. All of that is in view when John announces or is announced to that Babylon has become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. You know, one of the things you can find on the internet, which is replete, isn't it, with all sorts of idiotic things to take up our time, but one of the idiotic things that you could pass your time with on the internet is videos of abandoned malls. If you've never done that, and you have five minutes, now don't do more than five, set the timer, because it'll become five hours if you're not careful. But one of the things you could do is just click onto YouTube and type Abandoned Mall, and you could just watch for hours all of the videos that have been taken of malls that have been abandoned. Now, I hope they're not coming to Selma soon to take these videos, but Belk is closing, and so one never knows. But when you watch these videos of these abandoned structures you see that they are haunts. They are places that have been taken over by darkness. They're given over to decay. They just fall apart. It's always been amazing to me to think about the fact that a place that was once filled with life and and laughter and, and full of joy, a place that was an example of our power to conquer the earth and to build great structures could just crumble when not taken care of just be overtaken by the earth the earth will have its way it will take over and when john writes about the destruction of babylon he says it's going to be it's going to be a haunt it will be a place that is burned over a place that's left to destruction and decay when he uses the word there a haunt for an unclean spirit or an unclean animal or an unclean bird. he He's using a word that means a prison. It's a, it's a place where, where there's nothing but torture. It's left for death. It's a place where you go down for destruction. This is a place for the scavenging birds. It's a place for the wild beasts. It's a place that's given over to destruction. That is what Babylon will be. Oh, she looks splendorous now. She is glorious and alluring and enticing, but she will not always be that way. And then John tells you in verse 3 why it's going to happen. In fact, multiple times in the chapter, John gives us a reason. He's he's told clearly and then he tells us clearly why this judgment comes against this system of evil opposition to God and to God's people. He says there in verse 3 that all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality... And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Remember that John has been told in chapter 17 that this is a woman, a prostitute, Babylon the Great. That is to say that she presents herself in this way that she entices and allures and draws to herself for immoral acts. She is not really a woman, right? She's a system of evil opposition to God. But if we were to try to personify her, if we wanted to give her life, if we wanted to say this is what she is, then she is this prostitute. She's this woman who is engaged in immorality and causes all to be engaged in her immorality. No one escapes the enticement and allurement of this system of evil opposition. John makes that clear when he's told in verse 3 that all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. All nations, that is, the word here is ethne, it's all people groups. There's no one throughout the world who's an unbeliever who escapes this system. Everybody gets drawn into it. Everyone is caught up in its power. Everyone becomes drunk on its enticement. Everyone says, I could be better if I belonged to Babylon. The kings of earth say, I could be better if I belonged to Babylon. I would have more power. And the sellers, they say, I could be better if I belonged to Babylon. I could make a greater profit. And the shippers say, I could be better if I belonged to Babylon. I would have more work. Everyone says, I'd be better if I belonged to Babylon. And because of that, Everybody is drawn into her. Why does she deserve judgment? Why does she deserve condemnation? Why does she deserve destruction? Because only God deserves to be worshipped by the nations. Only God deserves the glory of all people. Only God should be the enticer and allure of all the peoples of earth. If all the kings and all the shippers and all the sellers are going to give their allegiance to someone, it should be God. It's His glory that should cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He is the creator and therefore He is worthy of all worship and adoration and praise and He will have it even if it means destroying those who are opposed to him. In fact, we will see in short making that all the nations at the end of days will bring their glory into God and his kingdom. He will not share his glory with anyone else, and so he will destroy Babylon the Great. John tells us first about the announcement of Babylon's destruction, and then he shows us in verses 4 to 8 the accounting of Babylon's deeds. He says there, Then I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. John shows us the accounting of Babylon's deeds. And again here, he's relying upon the regular words of prophetic writing that foretold Ancient Babylon's destruction. Isaiah wrote in chapter 48 in verse 20, Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, and send it out to the end of the earth. The Lord has redeemed His servant Jacob. Jeremiah wrote in chapter 50, verses 8 to 9, Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are likened to a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. The prophet's foretold Israel's destruction and Judah's destruction, but then the prophets foretold the destruction of her her destroyers. And when they did, they reminded God's people, don't you be aligned with her. Don't you take refuge in her. Don't you think that's your permanent final dwelling. Be alert. Recognize the evil that is in front of you. Be faithful to me. And in a similar fashion, John is now saying to his congregation and to this one, don't be aligned with Babylon. Don't be at home in the kingdom of this world. Recognize what is going on around you. One of the things that we must learn to do as we follow Jesus Christ is learn to recognize the kingdom of this world for what it is. We must recognize there is a spiritual battle going on, and that battle will rage until the last day when it is finally destroyed. The reason that evil rears its head and expresses itself in all manner of worldly, earthly problems is because the enemy of this world, the God of this world, the devil, is intent on destroying as many as he can. John wants us to hear that message and to recognize at the end of days, Babylon the Great, this final system of evil opposition to God is going to seek to draw in everyone that it can. So those who belong to God and the Lamb must be vigilant. John is not questioning here the security of our salvation. I don't think we should read into this that somehow it's possible for us to lose our faith if we truly belong to God, but instead it is a call to vigilance. It's a call to persevere. It's a call to endure. In the words of the Revelation, it's a call to conquer and overcome. Over and again throughout the letters of chapters 2 and 3, we heard Jesus call his church to conquer, to overcome. And here is a reminder of that of that which we must conquer, of that which we must overcome. We must be faithful. I also think we should be careful and recognize that when John writes this in verses five, 4 and 5, "...come out of her my people, lest you take part in her sins," This is, I think, primarily to John's original audience and not something that would be said to those Christians who are living at the end of days. Because by this point in the story of human history, most Christian people will have been, they they will have lost their lives on account of their faith. They will have given their lives in devotion to Jesus and so have been martyred. And so John isn't saying that there's a groundswell of witnesses of Jesus, Christian people who are somehow on the teetering edge of, walking away from God at the end of days, but instead he's saying to his own people in his own day and to you and me and ours, be faithful, do not be aligned with the system of this world. Come out of her. Of course, this has to draw us back, does it not, to the book of Leviticus and the call that is always upon the lives of God's people to come out and be separate from the people of earth. We are to live in this world, but we are not to be of this world. Our identity is to be aligned with God. I read something the other day about education, and, and they were talking about the, the role of, of home education, homeschooling, and, and someone said that they said, you know, one of the things that often turns people away from educating their children at home is that they'll be different, and the person that was a homeschooler writing this and said, yes, that's the point, Right? and whether you homeschool or private school or public school that's not my contention my contention is to say sometimes we look at the church and we say oh if i if i'm too involved if i'm too active if i'm too if i'm too committed i'll be different that's the point that we would be different that it would show your staff met this morning and was praying through the needs of the congregation and one of the things that we prayed as we looked at particular situations and needs in the life Of the congregation we prayed god would you use our brothers and sisters as they're walking through trials to be a witness to their families their families are filled with unbelievers they have maybe children or brothers and sisters or parents who are far from the lord as they walk through this would you help them to do it in a way that they are distinguished by their trust in you by their grace and their hope that come from a relationship with you and may that be used to open the hearts of those in their lives who are unbelieving. Let them be different. John says here, the angel says here, be different. Come out from Babylon. Don't be a part of her. She will not last. And then John tells us that the angel says, not only is she not going to last, and not only should you come out of her, but let the church of the Lord Jesus give her what she deserves. Now, be careful, because yeah. <laughs> that's not a call for right now in our own day. Uh, this, is, this is not about us standing up in the street corner and thumbing our nose at someone, but it is to say that we should be on the side of real justice. And real justice is the justice that God gives to the world at the end of days. We should be aligned with the Lord and say, Lord, your judgments are right. Your justice is true. You do all things in accordance with your will. God, when you pour out wrath, we're going to be on your side. We're not going to look at the Lord and say, Lord, you're doing this wrong. We're going to look at the Lord and say, Lord, that's the right call. We're going to recognize God's justice. He recognizes that she is deserving of judgment. He says in verse 6, pay her back as she has herself paid back others. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. And then he tells you something about the nature of what's at the heart of this system. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, mourning I shall never see. The angel tells John and tells us here's what's wrong with this system. This system appears to be enticing and alluring. It appears to offer profit. It appears to offer power. It appears to offer work. It appears to offer a greater quality of life to those who are blinded to the things of God and to God himself. And so people go in wholeheartedly thinking, this is how I will be better. I'll be better by aligning myself with Babylon the Great. But in the end, what do we find? Babylon is not concerned with anyone's flourishing. Babylon doesn't want anybody else to have a better life. Babylon doesn't actually wants you to be great what babylon wants to do is destroy you at her own glory she is intent on her own pleasure brothers and sisters we don't have to look very far at the evil despotic tyrannical systems of our world to see this in action do we we could look back i just think for one example we could look at the story of of communist romania and, and the and the last the last communist dictator of romania was was Cecescu, and we could look at his story and see there that while Romanian people were, were starving to death and were persecuted intensely, and while people were driven away from their homes, their family land was sold to the state, sold to the state, taken by the state, and people had to live in these communes, these buildings that were that were 20 stories high in the middle of a city center and they didn't have enough food to eat. They were forced to work in certain industries. It was trying to even out the people. Do you know who wasn't even? Their leader. Their leader lived in a grand palace and had all the things that this world could offer for his own glory. That's a story that is told the world over in systems where people say, we'll even everything out, everybody will be on the same playing field, but never those in power. The cultural elites, the financial backers, the power politicians are always intent on their own glory and pleasure. And that's what exists for this final system of evil opposition to God the reason she deserves a double portion, the reason that she merits this judgment, the reason God says let's, let's give her everything we can in terms of judgment is because she has prided herself and made her way at the expense of the people of earth. John tells you about the announcement of judgment and the accounting of Babylon's deeds. And then he tells you about the anguish of Babylon's associates in verses 9 to 19. And you see here, there are three types of associates that Babylon has who grieve over her destruction. There are the sovereigns. That's the kings. And there are the sellers. That's the merchants. And there are the shippers. That's everyone involved in the sea and sea trade and sea industry. So let's look first at the anguish of the sovereigns. It says in verses 9 and 10, The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come." The kings of the earth are, are those sovereigns, those rulers, those powerful men who have thought we could increase our power, increase our authority, increase our rule if we just aligned ourselves with Babylon. If we made this deal, if we made this arrangement, if we signed this treaty, if we gave way in this act, if we gave ourselves over to the rule of the beast, we will be greater for it. And so they are drawn in by Babylon, but as they are drawn in, they watch this very system crumble beneath the righteous frown of God's wrath. And as they do, their minds are so, so blinded to the truth of God That rather rather than this illuminating their condition and showing them that they are far from God and causing them to turn to the Lord and plea for mercy and grace, instead what do they do? They cry over the destruction of this system of evil that they have been aligned with. It says that they feared the torment of her. Uh, That is to say that they look and they see Babylon being judged. They see this great city falling. They see this worldwide system crumbling around them. And what do they think? I'm next. I was a part of her. I was aligned with her. I signed the treaty with her. I took the mark of her beast. I was a part of this worldwide system of opposition to God and the Lamb. They see the city being tormented by God and they say, I fear her torment. I'm next. And they say, in a single hour, your judgment has come. That's the first time we hear that phrase, in a single hour. Then you see the anguish of the sellers. It says in verse 11, And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The merchants, the sellers, they see Babylon crumbling and they realize We aligned ourselves with her for profitability. We thought we would be better if we were a part of Babylon. We thought this would be the way we could make a name for ourselves. We thought we could live in the lap of luxury and pass down a great inheritance and build an empire that would never end and allow our children never to want for anything. And now all of a sudden we see her crumbling and we realize there's no more market for anything we have. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you've held on to the family silver for a generation thinking one day it will be worth something because if nobody's buying silver, it's not worth a thing. It's Now listen, don't take offense at this, but it's sort of like your wedding china. <laughs> so, some of you have never used it because you're scared to death of what might happen to it. It is in a china cabinet covered in a layer of dust. Now, you don't have to admit to this. It's in a china cabinet in a layer of dust. And you think your daughter or your daughter-in-law will want it. They won't want it. And then you will say at the end of your life, you know what, let's sell it. Nobody's ever going to want this stuff. And guess what? You can't give it away. You'd pay $125 for a place setting in the finest stores. And you couldn't get $1.25 for the whole lot when you go to sell it in the flea market. You can have it, but nobody wants it. It's not worth anything. And when Babylon the Great falls, all those who thought we'll make our profit off of her, we'll align ourselves with her, we'll be a part of this worldwide system, this will lead to our greatness. Oh, they will have storehouses full of things that no one wants to buy. And what will they say? In a single hour, verse 17, all this wealth has been laid waste. This system of evil opposition to God and the Lamb has been growing. It's been growing since that very moment that Adam and Eve turned against God in the Garden of Eden. And ever since that moment, this system of evil opposition to God and the Lamb has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger and taking in more and more people under its power and spell. But the day will finally come when it is so big that it will crumble beneath its own weight. The day will finally come when God's wrath is poured out so quickly it cannot possibly fend it off. And as Babylon the Great falls... All those who have aligned themselves with her will weep and be woeful because they will realize that with her have burned up and been consumed all of their hopes for the future. But then John tells you in the end of verse 17 about the anguish of the shippers. It says there that all the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off. And cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. The shippers are just like the sellers and just like the sovereigns. They look around. They see Babylon burning with fire, being destroyed beneath the weight of God's wrath. And they say all our hopes are lost. We had work as long as Babylon was wealthy, as long as Babylon grew, as long as Babylon was engaging in trade. We had hope we could make a living for ourselves. We could grow rich even. And now it's all gone. In fact, John says that the angel told him they had a funeral for Babylon in verse 19, that's what it means when it says they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned. It means that they, they took on the funeral act. They, they went through the act of public grief. They, they acted as though this was the destruction of a dear friend. This was the demise of a long-term family member. They went through the act of grieving over this worldwide system. And they said in a single hour, she has been laid waste. You hear that theme over and again. And you realize that this system of evil opposition to God and the Lamb that has reared its head throughout the story of human history and all sorts of evil, despotic, tyrannical empires and kingdoms and nations is going to rear its head one final time and one final expression headed by, empowered by the beast, the antichrist, the man of lawlessness. And when it does, all of the world all those who dwell on the earth, all the unbelievers will be captivated by it. They will all say, you know what? I would be better with Babylon. I could make a life for myself with Babylon. I could have power. I could have wealth. I could have pride. I could have profit. I could have work. I could be somebody if I just aligned myself with this system. And they will do so gladly and joyfully. No one will have to force them. And they won't see it. Even in the end, they won't see it for what it is. They will mourn and grieve. Not unlike the children of Israel, who in the midst of their struggle, leaving the land of tyranny and slavery, said maybe we should have go back to Egypt. We were better as slaves. The shippers and sellers... And sovereigns will stand around and say, as Babylon burns, surely we were better. Surely that was our best bet, our only hope. And they will grieve a death in a single hour. And because their eyes are blinded by the God of this world, the devil, they will fail to see that this is the righteous judgment of God and the Lamb on a system that has taken them in to destroy them. And so their hearts will be hard and they will not repent. So then you see finally the ascension of Babylon's victims. The ascension of Babylon's victims. It says in verse number 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no know more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no know more. And the sound of a mill will be heard in you no know more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no know more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no know more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. You remember back in chapter 6 when the, the fifth seal was opened on the scroll? John told us there that there were souls beneath the altar of God and they cried out. You remember what their plea was? Sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long? How long until you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were told not until the number of those like you is fulfilled. Just a little longer be clothed in white robes and be at rest. Throughout the long story of the church of the living God, those who have been faithful unto death, those who did not love their lives more than they loved Jesus, those who have borne a faithful witness of Jesus Christ and have overcome They've been crying out, Lord, when will you bring real justice to us? Many of those who pray that prayer, who cry out for that justice, are those who are martyred, those who give their lives on account of their faith. But there are just as many who pray that prayer, who live, who live in a world that is out of control, it would seem. Many of those who cry, Lord, when are you going to bring justice? Are those who have lived in a world that is hostile to the things of God and to God's people. We've wondered, God, when will the suffering, when will the sorrow, when will the sighing come to an end? God, when will you put this to right? When will you bring order again? When will you bring a new sense of creation to this world that is falling beneath the weight of its own wickedness? Our world is upside down, I don't think I have to tell you that, but I was reminded of it painfully, clearly, last week. Uh, I was working on a project for church and trying to find a vendor that could engage in the work, so I reached out to several companies and I was not receiving any favorable responses and some didn't respond at all and so I kept digging around and had one company that was highly highly overpriced and they said we know we're high don't don't use us use somebody else we'll tell you who to use so they gave me a name and I contacted them and the owner of the company emailed me back and said "Um, appreciate it we love Selma we do a lot of work in Selma appreciate it They're, they're not a Selma company but they said but due to the nature of our employees and team members. We don't want to cause any offense. We don't engage in religious work. And I thought, Lord, is this how far we've come? Is this how upside down our world is? We didn't ask them to convert. We didn't beat them over the head with a Bible. We didn't ask, I mean, we just, we just don't engage in religious work. We, we are so upside down in our world because we are blinded to the truth that it would, seem, it would seem that there's no real sense of order or control. And we find ourselves wondering, Lord, how long is it going to be like this? And so for every saint of God who's ever wondered, God, how much longer? How much longer will it be like this? How much longer? until you set things to right? How much longer until you bring justice? How much longer until you destroy those who have opposed you? God finally judges in their behalf. No longer. It's time. And the angel says, Babylon, this system of evil opposition to God will be hurled into the sea like a millstone. It'll be a desert wasteland. It will be a haunt for unclean spirits. You'll drive into this town and you won't hear anything pleasant anymore. All of the senses of life, all of the normal things that go on, the sounds of trade and the sounds of home and the sounds of animals being tended and the sounds of creation filled with joy and the sounds of people at play, all of the things that you hear in a place that's filled and teeming with life, to be silent. And when you go looking through the hubble that was Babylon the Great, the angel says there's one thing you'll find in that place. Verse 24. The blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Why does this system of evil opposition to God deserve to be judged, a double portion? And why does God tell His people, you be careful, don't be aligned with her, make sure you come out of her? And why does God call His people to rise and rejoice in the destruction of this city, this system of opposition, this prostitute that has enticed the world under her sway? It's because this is the system that is responsible for the destruction of God's people. And that blood will cry out until the very moment that God judges in its behalf. What can happen in a single hour? The world is a long story of evil opposition to God. And sometimes we grow so weary beneath its weight that we think there will never be real justice. There will never be real, a real cause for hope. There will never be a real sense of this world coming back under control. Oh yeah, there will be. Because one day in a single hour, it will all be done. In just a moment, at the end of days, when the last bowl of God's judgment is poured out, the system of evil opposition to God and all those aligned with her will be like that white city. Nothing but plaster of Paris. Shining for a moment, but burned up in the end. Father, thank you for this promise that our prayers do not go unanswered and they are not offered in vain. But in fact, the day will come when you make a judgment in behalf of your people, what a glorious day that will be. So we pray, God, give us boldness not to live in the world, not to be a part of Babylon, not to be aligned with the devil, to recognize there's a spiritual battle and to be on the right side, on your side. And God, give us confidence to trust you, knowing that one day in a single hour, all the things of this earth that are wrong will be put to right. We praise you and we glory in your goodness and we rest in the assurance that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.